0: Do you guys remember a few times in life where um, the internet was suddenly broken by some controversy or, you know, that's what they say, the internet was broken. It wasn't really, but everybody gets up in arms about certain things. You guys remember a few times when this has happened? Like, I remember the first time really being exposed to this was over the color of the dress. Now, we're not even going to discuss it because some of you are just wrong. Okay, and I don't want you to be wrong. I mean, the, the controversy was, is this dress blue or gold? Go ahead, say it out loud, you're dying to. Mm. See right there, look at that. That one, yeah, isn't that interesting? This was way back in 2015. You see white and gold for real? I seriously see blue and black. Okay, let's take a poll. How many of you see blue and black? How many of you see the wrong color? <laughs> there was another one. Did you guys know this? There was another one just a few years later. After that, a couple years after that was the color of the shoe. Does anybody remember this one? Is it pink or gray? Gray. What? You seriously see pink? Oh my gosh! I don't see pink. That's 100%. How many of you see pink? How many of you see the other? I see the other on that one. No, I wasn't the only. Put your hands back up if you're with me. Exactly. Going to tell me I'm the only one. We're the unique ones, evidently. (laughs) The special ones. (laughs) See, that that right there does amaze me, Amy, because I, I honestly don't see pink at all. I know. Isn't that amazing? I really don't see, like, the, the strip on the blue, the laces all look like a teal blue to me, and the shoe itself is gray. Yeah. I know. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? Now, you may be thinking, Brent, why are you getting us opposed to each other so early this morning? <laughs> this is just a great example of these optical illusions that have been around for thousands of years. In fact, you know, um, the one uh, the, the, the one that you can see is on architectures actually in India. And you may not be able to tell it very well. I need to post it later this week. But the question on that one is, is it a bull or is it an elephant? It's like 900 years old. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And so depending on how you look at it, you can see coming from one side you see the elephant and coming from the other side you see the bull. You see it, Luke? It's cool though, once you see it, it's really cool. The bull is coming from the left. The left side is the bull body, and then the, it makes the head. It's really cool once you see it. If you want to Google India optical illusion, you'll see an up close version. And of course, the ones I grew up with were, is it a rabbit or a duck? Or is it an old woman or a young woman? I mean, those were the, those were the optical illusions. And they've been around even in 5th century B.C., You may be surprised to hear that. Greek architecture was shown to have some optical illusional effects because the roofs were slanted but they appeared curved to anyone viewing them below the roof. And I couldn't find a good example of that but that's what I read. Isn't that fascinating? Now why am I saying this? Because it's an important reminder that perspective matters. How we view things, how we see things matters and what our temptation is is I see it right and you see it wrong not that anybody in this room did that this morning (laughs) no great Amy thanks for being my, my object lesson here no but isn't that the way we tend to go though like well this is great I respect what you see but you're wrong and that's how it flows for us most of the time but we have to realize there's a lot of things that shape us. There's a lot of things that lead to giving us the perspective that we're claiming. It can be our culture, our ethnicity, our upbringing, our socioeconomic status, our skin color. I mean, there are so many different things that we could highlight to say, do you realize that the lenses through which you see the world are there? Because I think a lot of times people would just rather go, well, I don't have lenses, you're just wrong. No, we view the world through these lenses and they have an impact on us. Why would this be a problem? Well, recently I was reading a book, it's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders to Better Understand the Bible. Now that's a great title, isn't it? But in this book, the authors talk about where uh, like a seminary professor did a study. And the, the seminary professor was in America and he read to his class. And it was like, I can't remember, uh, I've probably got it in here, 40 people, 20 people, something like that. Uh, no, sorry, 12, 12 seminary students, 12 American seminary students. And he reads for them the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. Then he says, turn to a partner and I want you to retell that story as close and as accurate to what I read as possible. And they did. And then what they found was that none, zero of the 12 American seminary students mentioned the reality of a famine that was mentioned in the story. Not one of them, zero out of 12 mentioned the famine, which precipitates the son's eventual return. Now, the professor found this very interesting, so he organized a larger experiment where he had 100 people read the story and retell it as accurately as possible to a partner. Out of 100 participants, American participants, would you like to guess how many of them told of the famine as a part of the details of the story? It wasn't zero, but it's not much better than zero. Six, out of 100 American people retelling that story, only six used or mentioned the uh, the famine as a part of the story. Now, what's interesting is that even though um, they were all American, this group was ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, and religiously diverse. But the professor here, he called them the famine forgetters, realized that they did have the one thing in common is that they were all from the U.S. But later, he had the opportunity to do this experiment again. And he went outside the U.S., and he was actually in St. Petersburg, Russia. And he gathered 50 participants to read and retell the story of the prodigal son. Anybody want to guess how many of the 50 recounted the famine? Forty-two. Forty-two. 42 of the 50 highlighted the famine as an important part of the story, or at least enough important enough to mention it in the retelling. Anybody fascinated by that? Mm, I know I am. Why would this be? Well, you have to go back to a little Russian history where just 70 years prior to this study being done, 670,000 people had died of starvation after a Nazi-German siege of the capital city began, and they had a three-year famine. Famine was a part of the history and the imagination of the Russian participants. Based solely on cultural location, people from America and Russia disagreed about what they considered the crucial details of that story. We, Americans, think the famine unnecessary. Why? Because when we tell the story of the prodigal son, we see it as a story of wastefulness. We apply the story as a lesson of willful rebellion and repentance. But Christians in other parts of the world understand the story differently. In cultures more familiar with a famine like Russia, readers consider the boys spending less important than the famine. The application of the story has less to do with willful rebellion and more to do with God's faithfulness to deliver his people from hopeless situations. Mm-hmm. The boy's problem, the authors say, is not that he was wasteful, but that he is lost. Mm-hmm. Don't to just let you sit there in that for just a moment? <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. So, as we've been in this series... And we've been asking these questions that, you know, questions from a friend, questions that a new generation may be asking. Today, we come to a kind of in that same vein, this big question that was a part of the original list. And it's just simply this is Christianity, the white man's religion. That'd be very easy for us to think that, right? And, uh, but instead of you listening to me talk about it, I've asked some friends, hence the big table, to join me on stage today. And uh, so I'm going to invite them up at this time. So I've got Jude and Na- Nancy Ashwanth. So you guys come on up. And I've got DeWin, Poor, and Blessing Jeru. So you guys go ahead and come up. We're going to give you guys some microphones. Jude, if you wanna sit here, I'm gonna give you this wired mic.
1: The one that was making all the
0: noise? No, that's on my head. So, okay. So, Nancy, I'm going to give you that one. Give you that one. And that's on. There you go. Now, it may take Ben a second to figure out who's got what mic. So, all right. So, can you guys maybe understand why I've asked these guys to help me this morning? Now, what I want, I want to lay some ground rules real quickly, though, is... um, These guys are gonna share from their own stories. They don't represent the entire ethnicity or culture group, okay? They can only share their stories. And uh, we know that this can be a little bit scary for for us to have this conversation. It can easily be misinterpreted or misunderstood. Uh, But the great thing about these individuals is, um, how long have you guys been at Ashworth? Five years. Five years, how long have you guys been at Ashworth? Seven. 7 They've been here a while. These are my friends. And I've talked with Blessing because Blessing's kind of my, uh, my corrector. So I go to her and I say, can I say this? And they know that anything I say or ask, they have the uh, absolute freedom to say, well, Brent, that's a really dumb way to ask that. Let me answer that a different way. But because we have relationship, because this isn't just something we do, this is something we embrace at Ashworth. Uh, Jude is one of our elders and has been for several years. And so it's important for us all to understand how do they see Jesus versus how do I see Jesus? I need to understand the lenses by which I see Jesus. And I can't do so thinking, well, I'm right. And they need to see Jesus the way I do. I see a blue and black dress, I'm sorry. I don't understand how the rest of you don't but I need to understand because I think it's it can help me grow and learn so let's just begin with this why don't you guys introduce yourselves just a little bit yeah, I mean I've kind of said your names but go ahead tell us a little bit about yourself
1: my name is Jude and I think uh, most of you would know me like I said we've been in Ashworth for uh, yeah five plus years maybe six seven years something like that so uh, this is my wife Nancy and we've got uh, Two girls, Jenny and Jesse, uh, 10 and 8 years old. I think, no, 10 and 9 years old. <laughs>
0: got that right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Jude and Nancy had the very great misfortune of living across the street from us in Waukee when we lived there. So that's how we yeah. got to know them and become friends. Next. Oh, okay. oh, I guess I skipped you, Nancy. Did you, did he cover you? Okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh,
2: my name is Blessin, and i mostly just with the kids' ministry. So if you see all the kids, like, come towards me, it's because I've been, yeah, we're,
0: we're tight. tight. <laughs> all right, Dewin, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dewin.
3: All right. I'm Dewin, Blessings Mom. <laughs> I've been at Ashmore for seven years now. I think this November or December will wow. make us eight years. Yeah, so basically all of our life in Iowa. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much it. I have four kids, so Blessing Francis, you just hear him singing in the back there every time, and then Panora and Scarlet. And your husband's here too. And my husband. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, I'm here to help, you know, I'm just here to help. So I think the mo- one of the most important questions I have for you guys is just who or what most influenced your faith? Okay, I'm going to just throw that out there. Anybody can answer. Unless don't make me call names.
2: I think my grandma on my mom's side must influence my faith. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. This lady prays probably, would you say like mm. four plus time a day? More than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's yeah. just, like, she's a really god fearing woman and... Like, sometimes I'll, like when she's praying, I would just look at her so confused. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really inspiring to watch how much she just, like, puts all her trust in God and, like, lets him guide her. Mm. Yeah.
0: And where was your grandmother? Was she here or was she?
2: Um, She's here now. She's here
0: now, okay. Yeah, she was in Liberia. Liberia, okay. So, for me, I think it's always
1: been the community, the church that we grew up in. And something that's helped. A lot is stories that you hear about people, not just. So, I think Nancy and I we probably were a lot fortunate to grow uh, in families that that you can call pretty well-to-do, and we lived in a state where uh, you don't hear about persecution a lot. Uh, persecution a lot. Now, when I say persecution, I'm not talking about getting yelled at in Facebook. <laughs> I'm talking about people giving complaints to the police, police coming to harass you, files, uh, cases getting booked against you, people coming with uh, sticks and whatnot to, to to tear down things you've built, chasing people away, right? Mm-hmm. So when you hear stories like that, it challenges your faith, it challenges your priorities a lot. Mm-hmm. It really puts things into perspective to say, okay, there are some people who who are, who are willing to do that. Totally not rational, uh, an, an ordinary logical man would not make a choice like that, but those, those kinds of stories has probably uh, influenced my faith a lot and also when teachings played a big role, where you can hear simple things, or I should say, big, abstract truths being broken down in very simple ways that you can actually understand. I think that's, that's played a big role in my life. Yeah.
4: For me, I grew up in a Catholic family.
0: Is it on? Oh, it's on, I think. Yep, yep you're good. On. They'll get I'll it back i pretend there. it's work. There it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
4: So I grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, My parents are still Catholics, but uh, obviously they were people of faith. They knew they went to church. My mom prayed still, date like I don't know, like a couple of times a day. Missing a mass is totally not acceptable. Um, I grew up like that, and I was like um, so much into catechism, like Mm -hmm. going, learning. So when I was in school, um, there was this kid. I knew Bible in and out, like all the liturgical things and all that, but. She was very different, like I felt that she had a personal relationship with Christ, me was more, I was more theoretical, that's what Mm. I felt like, so that kind of challenge, that was kind of like the seed for me, and then in college, I was um, fortunate to be part of like a prayer group um, of like girls of faith, and then that's how I was led. But um honestly I would credit you to that. I would I still tell them like when we go to heaven probably you you can credit my soul. I mean like he's, <laughs> he helped me walk through faith. I mean mm-hmm. like there's been like ups and downs where I would just slide back, but then um he helped me a lot mm-hmm. in my walk.
0: Nice. Duane. What was the
3: question?
0: Just who or what was most in has most influenced your faith?
3: Um, Yeah, like Blessing would say her grandma, which is my mother Mm -hmm. um, she's a born Baptist Um, but um, growing up um, I grew up in a a two different um, tradition uh, household but my mother was the prayerful one she was the one that goes to church and everything, my father mostly tradition, native tradition, but um, I think I really got to understand relationship with Christ when um, when the Civil War came into Liberia mm-hmm. and we went to the refugee camp. So refugee camp, even when we went through the Africa's before going to the refugee camp, my mom would look for prayer groups. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been, to different churches like people that will relate to her faith so she has been already the background backbone of um me getting to christ having that relationship with christ but i never really experienced even though i was in a choir i did sunday school we went on retreats when we were on the refugee camp and things like that but i never really really had a experienced that relationship with Christ until one morning I was going to work and um, Francis was on a feeding tube mm. which is through his nose and that weekend before that morning I was going to work I just told him because like we would take it out every Friday and put it back in every Sunday so mm. when he's ready to go to daycare it's there and he was just tired and I could see it and I asked him I said Will you eat for mommy if I take this thing out? He's not his ear. Okay. So going to work, I just, I started thinking about it. And I always tell people, I said, that is my intervention with Jesus Christ. Because mm-hmm. when I was thinking about it, it, it just hit me. And then the song came on, um, Tasha Cops, Break Every Chain came on. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
3: from my house to work, Going through the parking lot, cause I was working at the airport. So mm. from home to work, it's forty minutes. Mm. So imagine I parked my car, listen to that song, and I was crying, mm. and I was still able to get to work on time, having to go park my car in the garage, in the parking lot, and waiting for the employee bus to pick me up. Since that day,
0: mm.
3: I felt the presence of Jesus. Well, I said, mm. um, "Yes," and then it. It was after that. I got to take Francis off of the feeding tube. He was eating, and since then, yes, he's bought us about food now. But yeah, that is my, <laughs> <laughs> that is my, my first, I would say, my actual first experience. Mm-hmm with Jesus Christ.
0: And where were you, What was that here in the States? Or? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. uh, why you're an Eagles fan,
2: <laughs> right there.
0: Exactly. Why Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're talking about Francis, and I remember when you guys came to Ashworth because he was on a walker, yes. and that was a big deal when yes. he was able yeah. to not use that anymore. Even from just that first question, anybody see any differences between your own experience with Jesus and theirs? Um, Jude, as you were talking, uh, you know, in um, and, and America, we've always, uh, my whole life, Christianity has been the majority culture. And, you know, that is all my experience has been. But, you know, talk about a little bit. Being in a culture where it's not the majority culture, where you, I mean, is what else... what do you see there I mean how does that shape you even more
1: and I mean that's that's a big difference right I mean Nancy will tell you and we wanted to or when when we both came to us she was really excited because she was like I'm going to a country where it's gonna be all Christians I'm going to the Christian nation so did that pan out for you (laughs)
4: day at work I realized that. I'm
1: like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean for us it is very, very different because you live in a, yeah, I mean there are all kinds of differences. You mentioned socioeconomic. That is just one aspect. There is, There are caste systems where some people are still today, they are said, stay away from this church. You're not welcome inside this church. Mm-hmm. And you're not welcome inside communities. And there are places where people will make use of you, people will abuse you, and nobody cares. And then, when you think about religion, your next door neighbor does not believe in Jesus, and and they believe in a very in in an entirely different way of approaching God compared to what you you know or believe. So, when you consistently live in that in in that kind of an environment, I think your faith get gets challenged over and over. Where you, if you really exchange honest uh, conversation with them you will get to know why they believe what they believe and it'll also challenge you to see why do I believe what I believe in and uh, so it either reaffirms you over and over saying alright this is the reason why I believe what I believe in and then when you think about okay how, I'm not I, I want to be the light I want to share uh, about Jesus to all my friends and family then you're not asking the same kind of questions because you don't have the same kind of challenges. Mm-hmm. You're not, there you're trying to say w- why you believe Jesus is God, and there is an aspect where you leave it and then say, God, I've done my part. Now I'm, ca- I'm kind of giving it mm-hmm. to you because I know I cannot change a person. And I don't even know if it fully answered their questions or not, right? So um, it is a very different dynamic back home, mm-hmm. so no, yeah.
0: I think I've shared
4: this with you, Brett, you can't hear her. Okay, here, take his mic, yeah. Can you hear me now? I I can hear you. I can hear myself. Um, I I think I shared this with you, like, on this topic when we were talking about it. So one thing I've heard, and this is my perception, based on what I hear Brent often shares here from the pulpit about um, the faith, in the U.S., right? It's more like, um, come to Jesus, it's more like a heaven or hell concept. It's it's like, if you become a Christian, or you go to heaven, or like you accept Christ, you can avoid hell. It was like, or at least that's my perception, or I perceive mm-hmm. that played a big part in how faith was shared. That is an or...
0: accurate perception.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but every time, or even when you share that, I heard, wow, that's very different, because when, back home i've always felt it was like for a need it's like i don't have my family is suffering my husband is sick my family we have uh we have a lot of People come or feel the need to seek God or Jesus because they have a need. It's not heaven or hell concept there. At least 90% or 95% even, people who we ask or when they share their testimony, even my friends, like friends of my age, oh, my dad lost his job. Can Jesus help him? I've tried all these options. To them, it's the last retard. I've I've prayed. I've I've done all these offerings. There, it's very common because of the numerous religions mm-hmm. we have there. I've done everything. I've done to. I've I've she gave this much an offering. I've done this. I've done that. For them, it's the last retard. My fam- my son is sick. Oh, my daughter is about to, she has to get married, but we don't have the finance to give bribery, whatever, right? Dowry is a big thing there. A lot of people, to me, the way they come to faith is because they have a need and they think Jesus is probably the God who can help them to meet the need more Mm -hmm. than heaven or help. Maybe for them it's like, I, I don't care much for, what's coming after, but right now it feels like I have. Can he do something for me? But that will be the starting point. But I've seen then, for me, the life-changing experience was like, when they, even though they come to Christ, with a need, after they experience him, even if this God helps me or not, I'm going to worship him. Mm. When I see that transformation, that's been like very inspiring. It was very, very very inspirational to me. Mm. I see them, Okay, they came with a need. Their situation didn't change. But they found Christ. They clung on to him. And they say, even if my son or daughter, even if they survive or not. This is the God. He Mm. is the true God, and I'm going to cling on to him. I'm I'm not going to let go. When you see people share that, Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is faith. Only Jesus can do something like that, you know? Like, you can't, in human, you can't do that.
0: That's awesome. Duane, I saw you shaking your head there. Do you have something to add to that?
3: Um, Yeah, I kind of, I want to say that I agree with um, with Nancy. Yeah, um, because, Getting to know Jesus, especially from um, my background, it's like, like she said, people come to Jesus because they want things to be, like, powerful, like, taken care of. Mm -hmm. So when you go through struggles, when you um, don't have anything at all, you go to Jesus, and you know that you will be taken care of so um being six seven years old and going through the bushes and streams of rivers crossing to go to another country and trying to seek refuge mm. you know you have nothing else wow. but you have jesus so and then i'll go back to my mom that's where um her faith has always been like with everything that we have been through, she always pray, always on her knees, always praying, talking to Jesus and say, I know you will do it. She always referred to, Shadrach, Meshaw, and Abednego, she said, yes, I want you to do what you do for me and what you did for Shadrach and Beninko. Because, like, that struggle you've been through, you relate to. When you hear about Jesus and you go through that struggle, you know that there's nobody else can help you to get through that but Jesus. Mm. Yeah.
0: Wow. I feel like we just need to sit with that for just a moment, don't we? Mm. It's so powerful to hear that. I mean, honestly, because coming from the American perspective and, you know, I grew up in church my whole life and it just being able to hear, I, I feel like I need to see Jesus through your eyes, you know, to, to grow up in a place where G following Jesus is so comfortable, you know, that we can put it in. Well, you don't have any needs today, so let's focus on the afterlife cause that's more important and to hear you know, Jesus is not the afterlife savior. He's the savior for today. I thank you for sharing that. That is, that is so beautiful. Um, I'm just, help me, um, what might surprise me to know about Jesus or your faith and how you came to faith and maybe how your culture shapes how you see Jesus? Cause you know, most of us grew up with the Renaissance paintings of Jesus, which he had beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes which we know is not how Jesus looked, Um, but help me, what might surprise me or help me to see maybe something through your eyes about Jesus?
3: Um, For me, I would say um, when I was coming up, uh, growing up, um, I think the Western world have kind of a little bit influenced the African way of worshiping. Mm. So with the blue-eyed and <laughs> blonde-haired Jesus, <laughs> the picture was hung up in every home in Africa. Oh, no. So I'm yes, so, that's sorry. how. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. very sorry.
3: Uh, a lot of Africans uh, from my country, again, a lot of um, African homes have that Jesus mm. hung up. Um, in their homes, that that is the Jesus, mm. but um, learning more about the gospel, reading through the gospel, and listening to different preachers, um, sitting to different worship services and things like that, you have that understanding that no, that's not the Jesus that mm. is actually in the Bible, mm. and we were just being. Um, um, just given this this image of that's who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you, when I don't know if it was when you and Ryan went to Liberia or, but you preached on something about the Western world, like people go to church now in Africa, like they have to be, they have to wear suit. You have to learn to be all dressed up and, mm-hmm. um, Mm-hmm. Like an
0: American would dress up. Yes.
3: yes, but that's different because the missionaries that when they're first It's like they wear suits. Mm-hmm. They have a briefcase. So people go to church and yeah. wear suits and yeah. Even yeah. If it, um, the, how, um, What's the thing called? Sunday best. Mm, yep. Son you have your Sunday best. Yep. best. It's yeah. always there. Like you have yeah. to <laughs> yeah. If it's one suit you have that mm-hmm. it's always there because that's how it is. Mm-hmm. But again as Teachings have emerged, and people are getting more understanding. Like People go to church and experience Jesus for themselves. When we first started coming to church here, and as you guys can see, I, I'm always in a dress. Mm. But I'm just used to it now. Yeah, I don't yeah. like to wear pants. We had a fight. Many, <laughs> we had fights. <five>, many years. <laughs> I said, you can't go to church wearing it. You have to at least wear a skirt or, or a dress. But no, she won, She's her own person now, so she's doing what she does. She, right <laughs> she does, yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's how it is. Like,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah the, the Jesus pictures have always been mm. in every homes. Mm.
0: Yeah.
4: I'd say I went through like a roller coaster because, as I shared before, like I, uh, from a Catholic background, where you have a church filled with all. Not idols like images mm-hmm. in one form or the other. And then when I accepted Christ and when I went to a church where they said worship in spirit and truth, there's <laughs> nothing in the church and I look around, this is church? It looks like just a room. I mean for me, churches to have that Roman architecture, I mean like you need to have those pulpits, you need to have pews yeah, and yeah. um you need to stand up and kneel down. So I even in India per se, like I went from one to the other and like Jude said Obviously, I grew up in a uh, in a school that was run by British nuns, mm. so they there it's a very different culture. So I imagined most of the people Westerners are Christians, right? That was my perception, <laughs> and so for me, obviously, it was different. It was, it was more like okay. Uh, Christianity is not a Western religion, per se, but obviously based on the missionaries and the priests and nuns who we grew up with, who we saw, OK, that's how it looks like. That was yeah. my perception, sure. obviously. And and the next big change was to accept um, Christ in our own culture. Like, yeah. my dad was a big advocate of, like, oh, we have to celebrate Mass in my native language. Mm. So he does, I mean, like, he works with a priest and they do, um, they, they use like the um, Indian traditional, like flowers mm. and stuff, not like how the um, Roman Masses mm. happen sure. still date, right? Sure. So uh, to me, I think I'm not a stereotype case, but I went through <laughs> like all different roller coaster ride from yeah. church filled with images to no ch- <laughs> church with nothing, just a cross, or even just Bible verses. Yeah. There won't even be a cross. So I was struggling going into a church, yeah. and then, um, again, to accept, oh, Christ. Because for me, it was hard to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we doing sure. this? Is it like um, someone from another religion would do? How, do? how can I do this or not? For me, drawing that line between a cultural thing to a religious thing was hard. And yeah. till they did it is sure. hard. Sure. I always like question and struggle mm-hmm. there. So.
0: Blessing? I'm a, you haven't spoken much, so I'm I going to... Know. No, I'm, you, you want to answer this, or I can ask you a different question? Um,
2: I'll answer this question. Okay, go ahead. I think for me, it was the time span for churches. Like, we used to go to an African church, and even if we were late, we would still be there for probably two hours before <laughs> the church left out. And I remember our first day when we came here. We were we were we were being late to our um the African church and we were living in the Sun Prairie apartments and my mom was like let's just try out this church so the three of us got here and we sat down I think it was like 15 minutes Brent was wrapping it up <laughs> and we were like oh okay so that's, that's how it works so it's like going from being in service for probably like an you know, over an hour and then you have to stay after if like your parents are talking with other members of the church like you would be at church for like the whole day basically mm-hmm. like yeah, just clear right. your whole schedule for Sunday, because you're not you're not doing anything <laughs> and then uh, yeah i just i think like that that's the difference for me
4: i have to jump in on this because my friend sugi so we have
2: talked about it like
4: in india how long the church goes and how we as growing up kids like how we used to sit but then like how our kids stay like it's just one hour church and it's hard. We <laughs> used to be there for like three hours. Okay? And
0: now you <laughs> see why. You see there's a <laughs> clock over there that says we're already like 10 minutes over there's and no there's view. another clock there and it's like it's flashing at me and it's like telling me, shut up, Brad, shut up. So that's what I'm looking at every week. <laughs> we were
4: dependent on pastor's mood. If he's in a good mood, he goes on. Right? Oh, goes you guys. Up, uh, and well,
0: and praise God, God. You guys yeah. are not left to the pastor's mood because that could be a lot of trouble. <laughs> So, Jude let me just wrap up with you just yeah. uh, what is the gospel or the good news to you oh, wow. yeah
1: um, I think God's, for me the good news is that I that I don't have to wait to live a life with God after I die I can mm. do it right now yeah. uh, so that God made a way in the middle of all of our chaos and accounting all of his perfection mm. that he still made a way that I could walk with him, talk to him, hear him talk back. Yeah. It is like you and me sitting here and then having a conversation. At times it definitely feels like that, that you would ask a question, and some way or another you will hear something back that you will know, all right, God, you're there. And uh, the cross uh, and the fact that I can walk with that God today, right now, mm-hmm. that's, that's probably the biggest thing for me when it comes to the gospel, yeah.
0: Hmm. Will you give them a hand? You know, very often as we think about other cultures, one of the things it's very common, the American exceptionalism and all these things that we convince ourselves of. We think, Oh, well we took the gospel to India and we took the gospel to Africa, which I know Africa is not a country, it's Liberia, but you know, we, we obviously we think of Africa that way. But do you guys realize that that's not true. I mean, Thomas, the apostle who doubted took the gospel to India. They know this. I didn't until a few years ago. One of Jesus's disciples, one of the guys who actually walked with him, took the gospel to Asia, to India. And the the reason there's Christianity there isn't because we went and saved them, was because it was already there. Africa, Liberia, some of our early church fathers in the early first and second and third centuries, they're from Africa. They're from various African nations, Augustine, and uh, there's another one, I can't think of his name right now, but they, they had the gospel, and part of the reason we're here today is because of that, what their cultures have brought to us. We didn't save anybody. They're saving us, and uh, thank you, Jesus. And I hope today that you see Christianity is far, I mean, if it was the white man and woman's religion, we're hurting. It's so much bigger and so much more beautiful than this. And, um, you know, for us as a church, we celebrate our diversity. Um, We lean into it and we don't try to make it just tokenism or anything like that. It's like we value the voices because, I don't know, I learned a lot today. I mean, I, I want, I don't know about you, I want the Jesus they see. I mean, I want the Jesus that's here today that I have a conversation with and, he's, and he speaks back to me. And I could have brought Suki on stage who has been an incredible challenge to my faith in a very great way where she talks about, you know, just speaking with Jesus and how God is speaking with her. And we need that, you know. And this isn't something we're trying to manufacture because, I, you know, you look at the way this is all going to end in Revelation 7, 9 where it talks about around the kingdom, around the throne, there will be a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And you know what they're doing? They're worshiping together. And uh, we can't be tunnel visioned about this. We need to to embrace the Jesus that other people see because it will help us see the real Jesus. Amen? So I'm gonna close here with just a prayer on the screen. Oh man, there we go. I read this this week. It's from a book called The Racewise Family. If you're looking for resources, that's a great one. Say this with me or just say it silently, either way. Creator God, you intentionally form distinct cultures and ethnicities as a reflection of your diverse design for creation and as a way to draw all nations closer to yourself. We thank you that you demonstrate your love for humankind in and through a multi-ethnic body. Instill in our family a true love for multi-ethnicity, not love diversity's sake alone, but rather out of a deep conviction that you showcase the power of unity. When all of us together worship before you, the Lord almighty, may we intentionally cultivate space for multi ethnicity in our home, our church and our community in order to bring healing and unity to the body of Christ. And may people from a variety of ethnic and cultural backgrounds begin to sense that they are seen and valued by other Christians. We recognize that it is only through this means that the church will become an incredible example of Christian witness and unity. God, may we be your hands and feet. Amen. Amen.